everybody, and welcome to the 386th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that gets wibbly-wobbly with timey-wimeys on the way to finding the best specs at the end of the universe. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments of the week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, I, I, I haven't quite given up on Twitter yet. I know he wants to call it X. <laughs> But I'm I'm still holding out a sliver of hope that somebody is going to break through that thick skull of his and convince him that ditching a 10 years of branding is foolish. You mean that something... This is on the equivalent of Magic deciding it needed to be called uh, five pointy things. Yeah, I, I, I just read through a huge long thread on Twitter <laughs> about how this whole thing goes all the way back to a battle he had over PayPal where he was trying to turn PayPal back in the day into a broad-based financial services company and was doing all sorts of sketchy things related to it that got him ousted as CEO. And he had been part of that play on his part was that he wanted to rename PayPal as X.com. So he's been holding this one in the chamber for well over a decade. I mean... Who among us hasn't wanted to change the name of one of a $44 billion purchase to <laughs> a Unicode character that nobody has a trademark or a license for? Well, one, one of the keys is that, A, apparently Microsoft does hold a trademark related to X, uh, given that it's not that far off Xbox. The other problem is that every time they have road tested this thing in market testing with real consumers, they have rightly assumed that x.com would be a porn site which is a fair assumption if it's got x right away in the name of the website are you presuming it is not pornography related if you send me if you send me to x.com slash mtg critic i'm not going to find all kinds of fan art with your silver-haired countenance all over (laughs) what people have drawn of you come on hugging up on on. hugging up on half-naked jays there you go. Apparently his game plan was that X marks the spot because there's treasure there, which as a bad idea for branding for PayPal, at least had some semblance of the root of an idea. But given how X anything is interpreted on the internet and given that Twitter has nothing to do with financial services at present, and Lord help us if he goes in that, tries to go in that direction and makes a hard left pivot. Anyway, what's on our agenda this week? Oh, things happen in Magic too. Actually, a ton of things happened. We've got a lot to go over. First, we've got our metagame week in review. We're going to go over a legacy challenge and a modern challenge. 
Then we've got our top paper movers of the week. Uh, there's a lot that has gone on since the the pre-constructed decks got previewed. Also, I reserve the right for some victory lap action. Segment three has our top movers online. Then segment four, you and I have some cards to watch. In segment five, we've got some a lot of things went on last week. We've got to go over the last few pre-constructed decks. We've got to talk about the Doctor Who reveals we got. There's a pro tour happening this coming weekend. And then there's some stuff we need to talk about with the Disney game, Lorcana. Busy, busy. Let's get right to it. Over in the metagame week in review, we have the Legacy Challenge from this past July 23rd. I believe that was Saturday. Uh, this thing was taken down by a Grixis Bowmasters list that had four Bowmasters, two Sauron's Ransom in the main as the core Lord of the Rings inputs. It also has two Mishra's Bobble, two Delver of Secrets, four Murktide Regent, four Dragon's Rage Channeler, four Days, four Force of Will, four Brainstorm, four Lightning Bolt, a Snuff Out, a Force of Negation, an Unholy Heat, the two Sauron's Ransom, 19 Lands, and four Ponders. This is, you know, basically blue-red Murktide ported into Legacy. Yeah, what's Legacy about this besides the dual lands and wastelands? This is and brainstorm, I guess. Brainstorm well, is the, the key. Well, da- Days like, Force of Will brainstorm is the answer to that, yeah. uh, along with the wastelands. Can you imagine the feeling of like, is it clear to cast my brainstorm? They've got two mana open, and if they bowmaster in response to your brainstorm, you just want to curl up in a little ball and die. <laughs> yeah, it's nasty. Uh, so then they had Doomsday in second. There was a Maverick Abzan list in third. That included three copies of Orcish Bowmasters as well. Uh, and in this list, you can Green Sun Zenith. Oh no, they, that can only go get green creatures. So I guess you, can't, you cannot get a Bowmaster with that, unfortunately. That's okay, because Green Sun Zenith is a sorcery. You don't want a Bowmaster at sorcery speed. You want to do it at instant speed and get that, you know, curled up in a ball feeling. Yeah, that makes sense. They did have a almost mono blue artifact list in fourth place, but it even even that one made room for an orcish bowmaster on the back of. Are there even any black producing lands? No, they only have four lotus petals to support that. Well, and mox opal and, and mox opal, too. right? But not a single land in the deck makes black. Which is wild. Which is just wild stuff. To support that splash. But Urza's Saga is so busted in Legacy. You get to Saga for your zero casting cost banned in modern moxes. And that's hot. Chalice that's of the Void, hot. Ether Spell Bomb, Python Needle, Shadow Spear. Yep. Yeah, this is, this is cool. Moving on with the last half of this top eight bracket. There was a more traditional looking uh, mono blue artifacts without the... Bowmaster Splash in 5th. In 6th, you have what at first glance looks like Death and Taxes, but it's only sort of Death and Taxes. I mean, the creature suite is 4 Recruiter of the Guard, 1 Plague Engineer. That's a D&T, you know, card. 2 Sky Cleave Apparition. Okay, I'll give it to you. 1 Palace Jailer. Yeah, sort of. 4 Solitude, 1 Passageway Seer, 1 Lauren of the Third Path, 4 Samwise the Stouthearted to get back stuff that's died. Four Orcish Bowmasters, four Swords to Plowshares, four Thought Seized, three Mishra's Bobble, four Ethervile. To me, this this plays like more black-white creature value, but then the sideboard has additional cards to bring them into a more traditional D&T position. They've got Stony Silence, Deafening Silence, Tuthalia, 
containment priest, etc., so that they can they can target specific strategies. But this this main deck version just reads value to me. Yeah, it's an initiative deck because all of the recruiters of the guard will go find Passageway Seer, which is a black creature to let you get the initiative. And it's got lifelink, and if you have the initiative at your end step, you put a 1-1 counter on it. But as we've seen, like the initiative plus the monarch is a really powerful mechanic in Legacy. So if the fact that Recruiter of the Guard will go find either your Palace Jailer or your Passageway Seer or your Plague Engineer if you're up against Elves or your Skyclave Apparition, uh, we're going to need to come up with a, uh, a fun name for a deck that uses Recruiter of the Guard toolbox value. It's pretty cute that you could, say, use a Skyclave Apparition, get rid of one of their, their mainline threats, say a Murktide Regent or whatever, uh, and then later block with it, let it die, Samwise it back into play, and take care of another threat. Or, if it was something like Recruiter of the Guard you use to go get Solitude, then you block with the Guard, which then lets you use Samwise to get the Guard back to go get another Solitude. That definitely starts to get pretty cute. Well, it gets even cuter, the fact that Samwise can actually get your Solitude back if you did that in a turn where you had two mana open. And you evoked. Samwise, yeah, because Samwise just checks to see if it was in play, and then it was put into your graveyard. It doesn't matter if it got evoked and then went to the graveyard. Yeah, that's pretty nasty. Uh, the next deck in the list is looks a lot like another modern port. This is basically Shardless Footfalls out of modern. But they have access to four Simeon Spirit Guide, four Elvish Spirit Guide to get that Shardless Agent out on turn one or two. Four Brazen Borrower, four Force of Will, four Violent, violent Outburst, and four Force of Negation. Three Crashing Footfalls, four Seagate Restoration, four Fire and Ice, three Minsk and Boo as the, big, the other big legacy upgrade for the deck. Is Fire and Ice modern legal? Yes, because it was in MH2, I believe. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, Minsk and Boo is a real pain in the butt and then having the eight super fast mana creatures are is really what this deck wants because i can't imagine like you have to be able to daze this right away or else you are doomed if they get two four fours in play immediately you definitely don't want them to put minsk and boo in play on turn one no you do not <laughs> that that card is plenty nasty also fun thing, if you manage to go uh, Shardless into, and then you ca end up casting Minsk and Boo somehow, you can, of course, put three 1-1 one -one counters on one of those Rhinos with Trample. Yeah, yep, that's also true. Finishing up this top eight, we have the Mono Brown Artifacts deck that uh, is here to make sure that the One Ring wasn't left out of the top eight. Three copies of that in here as an engine card that helps you get towards your... Was it an Etherflux Reservoir kill we decided was the main game plan here? I believe it was, because you have four yeah, cards. This one also created. has the Emrakul as well, so that you've got yeah. something to do with your 83,000 mana. Because you're only running 16 lands. Yeah. What, a, what an amazing thing. I love Stupid Legacy. All right, so moving on over to the Modern Challenge uh, from the same day, I believe. This one was also plenty spicy. We have the... Cauldron Familiar, Viscera Seer, uh, Samwise Gamgee combo, taking this down. So this thing is looking far from a flash in the pan, and I'm starting to wonder whether this deck might make it to the top eight tables at the Pro Tour this weekend. But I this can't one has wait to see that. This one has extra spice. Four Chatterfang Squirrel General in the main in modern. 
yeah. three lonest cryptozoologists in the main in modern. <laughs> four Academy manufacturer, a haywire mite, four delighted halfling, a peregrine took in modern. Four Samwise Gamgee, as I mentioned before, four quarter calling, four collected company to go get those combo pieces and go off. It remember if you have a cauldron familiar and Samwise and any sack outlet, that's just game because that's infinite, infinite cat triggers. And if you don't do that, you can make a whole bunch of clues with Lonus. You can make and then you can cast your opponent's spells. We have a pro trader that plays Lonus in commander against us frequently and that deck is very nasty in that format chatterfang of course makes a whole bunch of squirrels whenever you make any other tokens so if you're making food or clues you also get squirrels and you can just overwhelm the opponent as a as a backup plan instead of comboing out but given that you have four quarter calling and four collected company it's not going to be that tough if they don't have the force negation or force of Oh, not force of will, force of negation or counterspell handy to shut you down. Yeah, the other really fun thing in this is that Delighted Halfling is doing some serious lifting, making sure that your opponent can't even counter Samwise, Lonus, or Chatterfang. <laughs> yep. So a lot of your combo pieces are counterproof if you go the turn one Halfling. So this deck is only going to get more redundant and amazing because with Lonus or Academy Manufacturer, now you're getting the treasure so that Chatterfang can now sacrifice squirrels and now stuff's leaving play. And I can't, this is going to be a deck that we're going to see on camera. We're going to watch somebody do the calculus. We're going to watch the other person put an F6 in front of their camera. It's going to be great. I can't wait. So let's be clear. We now have both Academy Manufacturer and Lonus Cryptozoologist as fresh MH2 cards that have not just top-aided a modern, but won a modern tournament. Like, that list is now very long. <laughs> there's, there's at least 25 cards from that set that have been in that position. I mean, they designed the set to shake up modern, so I'm, I'm glad that Mission they're getting there. accomplished. Yeah. I mean, they have two Urza Saga in this land base as well. I love it. Gotta go find your Haywire Might. Or Witch's Oven, so that you can set up or the your oven. You're right. Cauldron Familiar action. Anyway, super sexy list there. Second place is the deck that I think is probably the favorite heading into the Pro Tour. Black Red Scam has been the biggest chunk of the meta from all the stats I've seen recently. This is for Dothy Voidwalker, for Grief, for Fury, for Ragavan, for Season Pyromancer, for Orcish Bowmasters. Interesting to me uh, that Ragavan still... Own, earns that slot given how prevalent Bowmasters is and all the other lists. Uh, I've watched a lot of games lately where Ragavan just did nothing because it was Ragavan turn one, not dashed on turn two, Bowmasters turn two, Ragavan's dead, I've got two creatures, your go. And this is just a very, very solid list where between Feign Death and Undying Malice, they are going to get tricks off with Grief and Fury on a regular basis. They can also do that with Dothy Voidwalker where the void walker is spicy as hell yeah because you can you can get some of their stuff out with the counters on it the void counters they kill the void walker before you have a chance to activate the void walker and use one of those spells that got exiled but the thing with the void walker counters that we've discovered in edh games in the past is that those counters are stay on those exiled cards right it's like karn and his silver counters or whichever other things that do that so any future 
version of the Voidwalker, whether it's brought back when it dies by Fain, Death, and Undying Malice, or it's just a fresh copy out of the deck, still is going to have access to those spells in the mid to late game to potentially drive things home. Uh, they're also running two Fable, the Mirror Breaker, three Terminate, and two Fatal Push alongside 20 lands and three Thoughtseize. It's just a very, very consistent deck that tends to tear apart the opponent's hand. It's, it doesn't look that different than the Hymn to Turok decks back in the day, where by turn two or three, all of a sudden, both hands are down to like two or three cards. And it's it puts both decks into top deck mode, and you're hoping that you're going to top deck better than they will. I, I can't have a hard time imagining Ragavan doesn't get there if you cast it on turn one between Bowmasters, Terminate, Fatal Push, and the Four Furies. Like, I can't imagine you'd have much of a cre- much chance of your creature staying back to block. And once you have the extra mana with what Ragavan lets you do and the treasure, like, that's that's going to get out of hand real damn quick. No, my comment was more that other people's Bowmaster decks are going to shut down your Ragavan. Oh, that's a good point. I see what you're saying. And vice uh, we'll versa. Like, like, the Bowmasters in here are in part to counter other people's Ragavans and Dragon Rage Channelers before they... And the other people's are. Bowmasters. Exactly. So, I mean, it's it's a Bowmaster meta. <laughs> that's for sure. This the, is reminiscent of way back in the day. If you had a Royal Assassin and then you somebody else played the Royal Assassin, nobody moved. Yeah. Third place is Living End, which continues to do well in this meta. We're seeing it in top eights pretty much every week. Uh, Living End has been on an upswing as a card. Uh, that spec that was predicted on cast a ways back uh, is looking better and better. The... Fourth place list was Black Green Yogmoth, which looks a lot like it did a few months ago, except for the upgrades of four Orcish Bowmasters and four Delighted Halfling, because now they can they as a creature combo deck can also make their creatures uncounterable. And of course the Bowmasters are just the center of the meta. So no surprise to see them here. In the bottom half of this top eight, we have four color Omnath making use of four copies of the One Ring. This seems to be the home where the One Ring has posted up most uh consistently uh, a few weeks out from the period where it was in every deck now this is you know in in legacy you're seeing it in certain decks in modern you're seeing it in certain decks and the modern challenge here again showing off the one ring alongside the benefits of four color omnath brews very nice to have delighted halfling here as well because though it doesn't protect your one ring getting cast it does protect your omnath your fury your solitude your elishnor and your nissa resurgent animist and uh, that's a pretty good place to be point of correction there james you're forgetting again that halfling is for any legendary spell including planeswalkers so this might not be four color omnath we might start calling this four color legends because every artifact and creature and planeswalker in there is legendary and if they ha- ever print a good legendary enchantment or sorcery like Prismatic Ending or Enchantment or the uh, Leyline Binding, they'll do that too. Oh, very good point. Because that does then protect the One Ring, the four Teferis, the four Renin Six, and really the only thing it doesn't protect is your Leyline Binding, your Lightning Bolt, and your Prismatic Ending. Yeah, it's pretty hot. Very nice. Black Red Scam again in sixth, seventh place was a five-color domain deck that also has four Oakish Bow- Bowmasters. In case you haven't caught the trend yet. Four Wild Nakatl, four Territorial Cavu, four Scion of Draco, four Ragavan, three Neshoba Brawler, four Leyline Binding, four Lightning Bolt, four Stubborn Denial, four Tribal Flames. There are some very classic elements here being mixed with the, the latest hotness. Uh, and then Living End finishing up this top eight. Very, very high churn formats as of late. There has been a lot of action 
in modern and legacy over the last six months, 12 months. And again, formats look healthy. I'm very excited for this Pro Tour. It's probably in better position in terms of the format being showcased than any Pro Tour in recent memory. Modern looks real good going into this. And my only beef with this Pro Tour is that stuff is starting at 5 a.m. Eastern time, which is like 2 yeah, a.m. for me Pacific. Tour. Yeah, so uh, it's a European Pro Tour. Adjust your count, your timing accordingly. Moving on over to the top paper movers. Lots of action, and almost all of it is related to the Commander decks out of uh, Commander Masters. So we kick things off here with Void Winnower out of Battle for Zendikar. Going 10 to 14, 40% gains on the back of the Eldrazi deck being revealed and this card not being included. And this is a very consistent theme all the way through this list. We have the, the first sliver uh, making a move. The Modern Horizons 2 copies going 23 to 36. 56% gains wasn't in the Slivers deck. We have Ikramoon Gauntlet out of Herexia All Will Be One going 4 to $6. The Oil Slick versions that we were talking about on cast also uh, on the move. The non-foil versions up 50%. That's the Planeswalker Commander Masters deck driving that. We also have Sliver Overlord out of Scourge. Original copies 40 to $65. That's 62% gains on the back of that Slivers deck. Again, not included. Then one of the odd ducks here, we have Shieldred's Edict. The promo version foils going 250 to 450. It's seeing a ton of play in both Standard and Pioneer, but it's also showing up as a two or a three of in the blue-black Sauron's Ransom uh, mid-range control-ish deck that has been posting up in top eights in Modern over the last couple weeks. Didn't show up in the top eight we reviewed this week, but still a factor to watch out for. Likewise, Subtlety is a four of in that list that I just referred to, and it went eight to 15 in non-foil versions. There hasn't been an elemental yet that people haven't had a chance to make money on. <laughs> all five have had a couple of different spikes on the roller coaster, and they all dodged a reprint in Commander Masters. So there isn't really anything on the docket for the rest of the year that would be an obvious home for any of those mythics to get reprinted means that gains on most of the above are are quite likely to continue, even if it's going to be relatively subtle once they level off. Yeah, the fact is that these uh, elementals have been a lot of copies and put into circulation. Modern players have soaked them up over the last two years. And quite frankly, depending on what gets hot on camera this coming weekend, we might see some of these really spike hard, and that's a little preview of stuff we'll talk about in a minute when we get to the Pro Tour preview. I'd say Grief has the greatest acceleration potential. It's already been right. on a sharp upswing and, and is the most likely to to see, you know, if it takes three of the top eight or something and wins the Pro Tour, then I could easily see a spike on Grief. We just got to have. We've just got to see these decks look good in a match, and then that the some of the herd movement will take care of that. But yes, the pro, the top eight is going to be a big deal as well. Some more commander man masters action. Emmercool, the promised end out of Eldritch Moon, thirty to sixty dollars, hundred percent gains on the back of not being included in the Eldrazi deck. I think that one was unlikely to appear there, no matter what. Um, had it done so, it would have done the reverse. You know, cut from thirty to fifteen or something. But something like that with it missing this is an excellent EDH card anyway uh, still has potential to find homes in is it banned in Pioneer? I can check real quick one moment. We can see that the promised end is not banned in Pioneer. Legal in Pioneer so it still has potential there. 
uh, for sure. We also have Sliver Legion at a future site, 23 to 45. That's 100% gains on the Slivers deck. Showdown of the Scalds out of Kaldheim is another bit of an odd duck. That's 2 to $4 on the back of the red-white Pioneer deck that's been doing well. We've also got Sliver Hive, which people just assumed would be in the Sliver deck, but it wasn't, so it went 12 to 25. I've made a ton of money on all sorts of copies of that card, and I'm going to be sold out by the time this process is over, I'm fairly certain. Song of the World Soul is a Commander 2019 card that fits well into an Anakthea deck, uh, which is the Enchantment Creatures Matters deck, probably the, I would imagine, the least popular of the four but went 2 to $6, uh, probably on the back of speculation, I would guess. Eye of Ugin, Modern Masters 2015 copies, 10 to $40. Unfortunately, I most of the copies I'm holding on that that I'm selling at breakneck pace this week are not highly profitable because I was in closer to $25 like four years ago or, or even longer. So happy to get out on a dead spec, but not reaping the wards on those as much as I am on the Judge Foil copies that you told us to buy at 14 that have been selling briskly at 45. Or the Expedition copies I said buy at 40 and would sell at 100. See, those I have from Eldrazi Winter, so my copies were entry point 180 US or something. <laughs> so that would well, be Well, buddy, a, a... you've got some hard choices in front of you. Not really. Very easy to just go ahead with the roll into this hype cycle and finally get them off my plate. Uh, Sauron's Ransom out of Lord of the Rings, a dollar to six dollars, just regular copies on the back of Blue Black in Modern and in Legacy. Uh, also, it's a good commander card, 500% gains. There was people that snapped these off in the Discord at 50 cents uh, on early buy-ins. Very, very nice. They're having a good time with that. I will say this. The, the next article I'm looking on at writing up is going to cover the topic of how fr- an increased reprint schedule that's part of an increased product schedule that results in a constant presentation of new commanders into a market meta where commander is at the as at the center point tends to do two things simultaneously yes it undercuts the long-term spec potential for cards on a say three to ten year horizon like there's no way you want to be holding original regular griefs four years from now when they inevitably catch a reprint and get cheaper but at the same time that say your urza copies from dominaria remastered or modern horizons 2 or modern horizons 1 are undercut by their reprinting commander masters inexplicably you also get eye of ugin sliver hive sliver legion Embercool the promised end sliver overlord Ickermoon Gauntlet, the first sliver, Void Winnower, all that take off in that same period. And by my count, more cards are activated by the Commander Masters release than specs that should have been a significant portion of your portfolio getting hammered into the ground. So as long as that continues to be true, there will still be plenty of opportunities on the activated cards side of things, especially if you play the uh, new card spec game as a quick flip scenario. Like you would correctly identify Bowmasters being a big deal up front or Delighted Halfling or Sauron's Ransom or the One Ring. You get in early, 
within the first six weeks, you've already sold most of your inventory. You might look for, to get in on additional copies at a buy list price, etc. You might look for a lull on some of those when they get a reprint in November in the, the second iteration of the Lord of the Rings set. But as long as you understand that there's activation at the same time that there's suppression on prices, you're going to be in position to navigate those waters. I mean, you're right that long, long-term specs are a terrible idea. And I think your point about do things faster is also well taken. A lot of what's been going on has been, are you able to roll with the new things that are happening rather than take your time and just post it at some huge number? It'll get there eventually. And that's that's really not going to happen. So I would I would agree with you on that. It sounds like a lovely thing to write. I can't wait because I'm right now I'm neck deep in the math of Commander Masters and I hate it. So. <laughs> Moving on over to top ma- Magic Online movers of the week, we have March of Otherworldly Light out of Neo, three twenty nine to five point six seven ticks, seventy two percent gains on constant standard and pioneer play, a little bit of modern here and there. Misery's Shadow out of Brothers War, 0.33 ticks to 0.75, 127% gains on the back of Standard and Pioneer play. There is a deck running four copies of that that's doing pretty well in Pioneer lately. Temporary Lockdown's a card that's always been good to me in my Esper Angels Historic deck. And, you know, I've locked down goblins and elves and merfolk and whatever many, many, many times with that card. And I run three in the main myself. So I'm happy to see that Pioneer Blue-White Control has caught up to this tech and is running three of in the main, driving lockdown from 1.09 ticks to 2.6, 140% gains. It's a really good card, and I'm looking forward to seeing people uh, kick some butt with it. It's nice to just undo all their first one or two turns of work. Alrighty. Uh, I see that we've got Chatterfang under pressure, given that it took down the modern challenge this weekend as a four of keep in mind that this card is already in 29,000 decks in the 99 on EDH rec and 12,000 separately as the commander it's excellent in food decks in EDH and now we have it as a four of mythic that hasn't had a reprint since its appearance in MH2 two years ago these are draining out fast already you don't really want to wait retro foils can still be had around ten dollars but i'll be very surprised if in the next six months they don't go from 10 to 20 plus so the only thing standing in the way here is the fact that there's that other art the borderless art where he's got some kind of like war paint going on and that's some badass stuff i can respect that i just think that any Chatterfang is probably a solid pickup going into this weekend because we're going to see it on camera. They're going to want to show off the new iteration of the food deck. And I think you're right. This is going to look real good in approximately, what's today, Tuesday? Give it one week, and I think that you'll be right on with the price having gone up to at least 15 if not 20 What's the numbers right now on available copies online? It's We're down to like 18 listings near Mint on TCG Player with nobody having particularly deep inventory and a very steep ramp. There is only something like a double or triple handful of copies under $13. If we add in Lightly Played, we do go to 29 listings from 18, and there's some additional copies under 10. But if we're looking at the borderless foils, the reason I focused on the retro is, first of all, I don't think the borderless foil art is anything special, and they are already sitting at $25 plus with 25 listings at near Mint. 
on TCG Player. Also no particularly deep inventories. I see like one of our mods has eight copies at 50 bucks. So she clearly uh, is ready for the card's future ascendancy. I was going to say, when, when you find out that your pick is already in, in prime position there, you're like, oh good, great minds are thinking alike. I'm with you. I think this is a solid pick, especially going into the Pro Tour. If it was a rare, it'd be a different story, but as a mythic, uh, nope. it's going to drain mythic. out solidly. If it, I mean, it could easily not show up at the Pro Tour because that test, those testing houses have already been in operation for at a distance for over a month and in person for just the last few days leading into the weekend, and they may have already locked in their lists before this tech was even discovered. So it's possible. It's it's hard to say whether you will see Chatterfangs at the Pro Tour. If you do, obviously that's a major boon, but. The Pro Tour only has localized influence. Like the majority of the data that floats around social media comes out of the Magic Online meta. So post Pro Tour, you might see that meta adjust to anything that has any tech that has been uncovered and demonstrated to be excellent at the Pro Tour. But I will not be surprised at all to see that rubber band largely snap back into into position, minus a few adjustments. If something, if the some team breaks the format and shows up with a deck nobody's seen before, that's a whole different story. But for now, right. I, I just like this because it's got a, it looks like it fits well. It's not a one of, it's a four of in the Samwise Cauldron Familiar deck, which is, you know, hated out via instant speed interaction with the graveyard, like many other decks are, like your living ends and so forth. But there's so much synergy among the puzzle pieces in that deck. And having played a variant of that in EDH recently quite a bit, I can see, you know, how it's very resilient. And... Hard to say whether it will earn its place permanently, whether the list will earn its place permanently in the meta. You know, in a meta where Black Red Scam is like 30% and this might be less than two. But again, you have this backup plan of it's 12,000 decks EDH rec just as the commander. It's already very good in commander, yeah. It's very good in any token strategy. Yeah, and it shows up in Abzan token, four color and five color, like all over the place. So uh, yeah, Chatterfang, what is your first selection? Uh, my first pick this week is one of the cards that got left out of the enchantment precon. I'm not surprised that it was. Uh, Weaver of Harmony, the thing that lets you tap a blue, I'm sorry, tap a green and copy an enchantment's activated ability. Uh, you can get showcase foils for around $2. It's got that cool neon thing going on. It's already in 28,000 decks. It's great in Tom the Bomb. It's great in the new one, Aka Anikathia. Anikathia, yeah. Saying. So I think this is a card that got didn't get picked, and eventually people will figure out, I want to give my enchantment creatures a bonus, but I really want to double up on all these ridiculous triggers. And this is a really fun way to do that. These foils were as cheap as 50 cents back in February, and now they're going for about $2. We're down to 29 listings. Nobody has particularly deep inventory. I've probably got a bunch of these sitting around from cracking uh, Neo CVs, and I would imagine anybody else that's done so has them as well. Probably a good time to pull those out and and see if you might be able to unload them into a market that is building a lot of enchantment decks over the next six weeks or so. I like it when we agree. Tell me about this other pick. My only concern with those is that they're, as a rare from a very heavily open set, they may... It's unclear whether the market will choose regular copies or premium copies. It's not like the premium copies are especially sexy. So how dare you see how it goes. Uh, my next <laughs> one is Court of Calling, which dodged a Commander Masters reprint and hasn't had one since Double Masters. So that is three years ago now. 
and it's in 86,000 decks on EDH Rec. It dodged that reprint. It's doing well in Modern in multiple shells. So we saw that it's in the uh, food combo creature deck we just talked about alongside four uh, Collected Company, but it also shows up as a four of in Black Green Yawgmoth. So you have two major decks in the format that both want four copies of Court of Calling these days. And the foils from DXM are down to a relatively reasonable level. You can get them at $7. To, for those foils to go 7 to 15 given the constant pattern of EDH demand underpinning this rising commander demand does not seem all that crazy to me. If I look at the inventory that is present and you know try to get a sense of what we're looking at, we're down to 31 listings. There's a, comp there's a vendor with eight copies at $7.16, and then everybody else is onesie, twosie, well up the chain. So it doesn't take more than 30 or 40 players to decide they want a foil play set of these to get this moving. On the other hand, given that it hasn't had a reprint lately, this could be a secret layer. Like th th this could very easily show up in a secret layer in two months, four months, six months, never. Who knows? Hard to argue with the secret layer logic. They'll, they'll get us and we just got to take the lump and move on. But this is solid. You're right. It hasn't had a reprint in a while. You know, Double Masters was all the way back in 2020. So this has three different printings at rare, you know, original Ravnica was, you know, in the dinosaur age, double masters and then M15. So there's a lot of copies that have been printed over the years, but there's even more copies that have found their way into players decks. It's popular in commander, it's a four of in this in assorted strategies because if you're playing four court of calling, you can be on the food deck. You could be on the um, the Yogmoth Grick uh, Hunger Tide combo deck. There's this finds all your combo pieces and does it at instant speed with help from your creatures. What else could you possibly want? Uh, I'm impressed you're going with uh, the foils from Double Masters. I'm surprised this does not really have a premium version to go after yet, and that's why I think the Secret Lair is the most likely outcome. But we know the secret layer is safe for at least the next month. They have, they've already released this one's going for a month. So yeah, I think seven to fifteen dollars, especially again, if it gets some good camera time, it'll it'll get there. It seems quite likely. All right. What about your final pick? My final pick. I'm uh, quite frankly, I'm I'm not surprised that this wasn't in the Planeswalker deck. But if you haven't played this in your, uh, you have a Traxxas Super Friends, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can't play All Will Be One, the enchantment from Phyrexia, All Will Be One, especially in Oil Slick, which you can get for about 24 bucks right now. I think it'll double up sometime before we get to next summer, because this thing is the most ridiculous card in a Planeswalker deck, because however many counters that Planeswalker comes to play with, you get to fire a shot for that much damage wherever you want to go. Did you proliferate onto four different things? You have four one damage targets to do. Whatever you want to do in Planeswalker stuff, you're adding counters, all will be one will take care of your problems. It is ridiculous, and I love the oil slick foils. You know I love oil slick foils. You love oil slick foils. We're not going to get more of that version, and it's the only special version available. So this seems like a good pick for commander players to say, I want this card. Give me this card. This should have been in the Planeswalker deck. Yeah, it's funny because the Traxa is, of course, the biggest Planeswalker deck in EDH, and you can't run this here. there. Can't play it, yeah. 
but it'll fit perfectly in as an upgrade for the Commander Jess Guff. guy. It's yeah, Commander yeah. Je- Guff is Jess guy, right? Yes. So it works very well there. And there's also a whole bunch of other combos with this that have nothing to do with planeswalkers. Also there's true. Combos with enchantments, combos with artifacts. It's going to Ob continue. Nixes. It's going to continue to create infinite combos or very powerful combos with cards on an ongoing basis in the future. Because Wizards is not going to play around this. You know what I'm saying? Like they're going to keep walking into this trap over and over again. And as you said, the oil slicks are have drifted slowly down as the hype cycle has moved on. This got as high as 37 back in early June and has since fallen off. We can now get copies in the $24 range, as you said. I think I do like this as a mid to long term because this is one of, you know, if when we're talking about what is going to work for speculation moving forward, regular versions of cards that are high tier staples that feel like they need frequent reprints are going to be the most dangerous. And cards like this, where they are both niche in terms of their purpose and application, but also have a premium treatment that is going to very likely to continue to be the best version available in much the same way that the Masterpiece Inventions uh, versions of things like Soul Ring and Mana Crypt are generally considered the best versions available outside of Alpha and Beta. This has that same kind of appeal where they might give you a borderless version of this in three or four years, but it's not automatically going to do anything to the price of the oil slick version because by that point the that those will be down to like eight listings or something it's worth mentioning that i just looked at the supply and somebody two different vendors actually listed copies at twenty dollars since i put this into the spreadsheet so i'm going to change this down to 20 well i mean i think yeah i mean that's only seven copies total so you you can do that if you want to but i think your 24 is probably more accurate all right i'll leave it then the um all told, I think that out of Chatterfang, Weaver, Cord, and All Will Be One, Chatterfang probably has the the best uh, short to midterm potential. I would go Chatterfang, All Will Be One, Cord, Weaver, if you're looking for me to rank them. Yep, I think I can get with that. Let's move on over to our weekly topics. We've got the Commander Masters wrap-up. Last week, we were the, the hanging question at the end of the cast was, did they include the fetches or not? The absolutely inexplicable answer to that question is it, <laughs> n- not only did they not do that they gave us the commander duels again which are not at all necessary i mean if we'd been ranking what was available we had uh, a lot of number crunching going on and people were just like i'm gonna i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get there um, and then it, it just wasn't we didn't think that this was on anybody's agenda that it needed reprinting uh ally no these are the enemy color ones correct vault of champions undergrowth stadium training center spectator seating and rejuvenating springs last seen i believe in commander legends legends yeah these were the legends ones that completed the cycle from battle bond the only they they did give us a borderless with new art here so that's nice right this could have been a lot worse fetches are better these are not terrible these are not terrible and an argument can be made that these are, you know, the core duels of this format at this point. They very, very rarely come into play tapped. And it, at, at the end game, when you already have 10 lands in play and there's only one other opponent left, who cares if it comes into play tapped? Right. So this is a good inclusion. It's not the best inclusion. And so people are understandably disappointed. 
past that point, they showed off the rest of the commander decks. And I believe we saw... Did we see Guff the day after we recorded last week? I think that might be true. I believe so. We didn't have Guff and we didn't have Eldrazi and we didn't have enchantments. Yeah. The one that jumps out at me here is Vronos Masked Inquisitor out of the Guff deck. Three double blue for a five loyalty planeswalker. It's a new character that I think was mentioned in a video game or something a while back, but we haven't seen this character before other than that. The plus one is up to two other target planeswalkers you control phase out at the beginning of the next end step. Pretty hot. The reason that's so hot in this build and others like Atraxa is that you to win the game in those decks, you're typically looking to ultimate something that's going to give you omniscience off Tamiyo, or you're going to get Teferi Master of Time and take two extra turns or whatever. And the reason that Planeswalkers aren't super effective unless you have a dedicated strategy to protect them and overwhelm people with the multiple use of their abilities per turn is that as soon as a dangerous Planeswalker shows up, say Oko, Everybody at the mm-hmm. table is going to use their next attack phase to attack that down off the table. And so for Vronos to, you know, if you've got Teferi, Master of Time, who gets to use his abilities on every player's turn, and you, they leave it alone when it gets up to 7 or 8 loyalty, but they're planning on killing it in the next turn cycle so you never get to the 12, then Vronos can basically wipe Teferi off the board for that turn cycle and ter- let their attention get turned in other directions only to come back and and cause trouble. That's very useful and it's unique. There aren't there aren't a lot of other ways to do that that are embedded into a planeswalker. Uh, the minus two here is for each opponent return up to one target non-land permanent that player controls to its owner's hand. If there's just been a board wipe and you get Vronos into play and they've just spent their whole turn to recast their commander for six, eight, tw- ten mana or something. Vronos oh, could, so irritating. Yeah, Vronos could bounce both of them back which could be, uh, you know, a time walk of sorts. And then the minus seven is target artifact you control becomes a 9-9 construct artifact creature and gains vigilance indestructible and this creature can't be blocked. That one seems very unlikely to get used very often because it's just not really what you're you're playing this card to accomplish. But uh, this is cute. I'll, I'll definitely try this in Atraxa. I don't think it's likely to be a, a major spec. And I didn't see anything else in this deck that made me feel any differently most of this stuff is nice to haves in your planeswalker decks as opposed to must-haves there's an awful lot of accessory creatures going on in here rather than like more planeswalkers and more board wipes is what i've seen in most uh super friends decks but you know they put in the deep glow skate they gave you a spark double they gave you the chain veil the navinriel's disc uh leaving out farewell uh, as i put in my article on friday feels real bad here because farewell feels so good in your super friends deck you know what i mean yep i could see guff rewrites history seeing a solid amount of play this is an instant for tuna red for each player choose target non-enchantment non-land permanent that player controls they shuffle it into their library each player who controlled one of those permanents exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card then puts the rest on the bottom of their library they cast the non-land card without paying its mana cost. So this is like Chaos Warp for multiple players. Right. You get a Chaos Warp for each player, except you can't target enchantments. But you can't. But you do get a, to do it to yourself as well. So yes. that's probably better than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, I mean, you're getting to choose all the targets. 
Yeah, you get to decide. And it also doesn't have shuffle first, then do this, like a lot of these abilities can. So if you've got a way to set up your library, we're going to see some dumbass combos with this at some point because it doesn't have that shuffle clause. So, you know, in Legacy, somebody will brainstorm, put Emrakul on top, cast Guff. Oh, look, there's an Emrakul. Oh, look, I get to cast it. Do you want to keep going? In the Enchantments Matters deck, the Anathea deck, the backup commander is Narcy Fable Slinger. Sorry, Narcy Fable Singer. One Abzan for a 3-3 human bard. Legend. Lifelink. Whenever you sack an enchantment, draw a card. And whenever the final chapter ability of a saga specifically you control resolves, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life or X is that saga's mana value. So the interesting part here is she's an auto-include in Tom the Bomb. Right. And in the future, if anything else comes up related to sagas that happens to be in her color... She will be, you know, a, a, the kind of card that might get activated after getting real cheap. This deck is awesome. It's got everything you would want to have. I looked at a bunch of enchantment specs and was like, nope, that's in there, that's in there, that's in there, that's in there. Pretty much everything, every accessory creature you want is present in here. Every sweet enchantment that you might want to add. The uh, Cacophony Unleashed is pretty funny stuff. Because you get to uh, board wipe for seven mana, and then when it comes onto your play, when it comes into comes into play, um, you get to turn it into an enchantment creature, or another enchantment comes into play. So your board wipe leaves behind something that whenever you cast an enchantment, it turns into a six six with menace and death touch that you get to attack with, which is just what every board wipe wants—a way to start breaking face the next turn. Over in the Eldrazi deck, I don't see a lot uh, to get excited about in terms of longer-term specs either. There is something to be said for the really excellent art on Rise of the Eldrazi, which is a sorcery for 12 mana. The spell <laughs> can't be countered. Destroy target permanent. Target player draws four cards. Take an extra turn after this one, then you exile it. Yeah, that's going to go into most Eldrazi decks from here to a long time from now. And probably unlikely to catch a reprint anytime soon. But it also costs 12 mana and fits almost nowhere else. So it's the very definition of niche. Whereas something like Abstruse Archaic, 4 mana 3-4 Avatar with Vigilance, has a broader uh, net to be cast that other people might need to think a little bit about before they finally parse it. Because it says 1 tap copy target activated or triggered ability you control from a colorless source. Thing is, lands are colorless. Right. Love it. I'm all I'm always for uh degenerate things I can do with assorted lands, especially if I can copy like a Gaia's Cradle trigger. That sounds like fun. Mana abilities can't be targeted, but Wasteland and Strip Mine can. Oh. Whoops, sorry. Then I guess you're not gonna copy Gaia's Cradle. <laughs> yeah. Uh but Wasteland and Strip Line Strip Mine being copied is still pretty nasty. Uh, you know, have a good time. Copy your Etherflux Re- reservoir trigger. Uh, your take an extra turn trigger from some Eldrazi or Annihilator trigger. That sounds fun. You get to steal two people's turns with Emrakul the Promised End. I like it. I like Emrakul it. steals on cast, though. I don't know if that one works. Uh, it's a triggered ability because it says when you cast. From a colorless source. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. It's a colorless spell on the stack. Yeah. So I could see Archaic maybe being the best of the bunch here. The rest of these are just fun. Yeah, it's just good times. 
the Eldrazi deck was and the Sliver decks were much more about what they didn't have in them <laughs> than what they Very did. Very true. I mean, Sliver Hive, uh, do you want to rant about this or shall I? I mean, I think it's a pretty straightforward rant, right? It's a, it was a really it good is. include there that they should not have skipped. And they should not have skipped. I mean, it's just that simple. It's a lot of uh, different uh, typo decks want to have their special land, whatever their special land is. And uh, the fact that they left out the Sliver Hive, the five-color, make-some-tokens land is just um, obscene. I can handle them leaving out some of the other five-color slivers. You don't want to overwhelm the fact that, like, they gave us Hive Lord and they gave us the Biologist and the Grave Mother. Cool. You don't want to put First Sliver. You don't put Sliver Legion. You don't put Sliver Overlord. I understand that. I would have made different choices, but I, I get where you're coming from. The land is just... The mana base on this deck is so bad like they didn't even give us the cascade the uh cascading cataracts that's worth nothing that would have cost them nothing to put into this thing yeah indeed so the other thing that they dropped on us recently at uh, a big conference over the last week was i think it was gen con maybe i'm not 100 percent sure i'd have to go back and check but they showed off some stuff from the forthcoming doctor who release which is supposed to be commander decks and then they're also trying to shove collector boosters in our face so if you had taken the surge foils from the 40k decks last year and you had stuffed them into commander boost collector boosters that's kind of what they seem to be trying to do with doctor who the problem is the doctor who ip is significantly weaker overall and the overlapping venn diagram between magic players and doctor who is probably a lot weaker doctor who is strongest of course in the uk it's got a fairly dedicated following throughout the world but that following is relatively sparse compared to other major properties and i think wizards went ahead and canceled doctor who printings in french and spanish if i'm not mistaken last week and i've been hearing whispers through the vendor network that the print run is just going to be reduced overall and that they're they're looking to kind of just get this out the door move on to the next thing and that it's not going to be like the 40k decks where they they went back to the print printing press like two or three times for the regular decks because the they were so popular they're expecting this to have to sit on shelves and as a result if there's anything juicy in this set it could be one of these situations where like with battle bond where the best cards in that set got very pricey before they caught reprints uh that would would not surprise me at all so here's what they've shown us so far if you don't know anything about Doctor Who, it is about a being that is known as a Time Lord who has the ability to time travel using specific artifacts. And they have a thing called the TARDIS, which is basically in the 70s when they first made the show. It it looks like a police uh, phone box that you would call to like report an emergency that would have been on the grant, like on a corner in a village in England in the mid 20th century it's about the size of a refrigerator box i'm not even going to say phone booth because phone booths have kind of gone the way of the dinosaur here so you're looking at like a big refrigerator box and so this old-timey phone booth is basically a time machine and the doctor is a character who can regenerate into a new person basically and they have used this to explain why they switch actors every few years (laughs) So right. over over time, there's a bunch of different people have played the Doctor, and the Doctor always has at least one companion, and the companions fall are like like 
confused humans that get dragged into a whole bunch of intergalactic nonsense and time travel, and they, they provide the human foil to the Doctor's madness. So they showed off the Tenth Doctor, both in regular frame and also in a TARDIS frame, which I think is a handsome frame. Looks, looks good for what it is. Uh, and the Tenth Doctor is a 3 blue red for a 3 5. Time Lord Doctor, and apparently Time Lord Two Words is the first ever two-word creature type, and Doctor. And it has two abilities. Allons-y. Whenever you attack, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a non-land card. Put three time counters on it. If it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend. Notably, the Doctor doesn't have to attack. Just You just have to attack. And then Timey Wimey, which is a quote from the show, seven mana to time travel three times, activate only as a sorcery, which is going to let you put counters on or take counters off. So for each suspended card you own and each permanent you control with a time counter on it, you may add or remove a time counter, then do it two more times. So this gets real cute with things like Ancestral Vision, where you can come much closer to turning it into an Ancestral Recall by making it go off faster, or Out of Time, one of my favorite underused uh, board wipes in Commander, where it wipes the board, counts up all the creatures. If you wiped 14 creatures, it gets 14 turns before they all come back. And often, if you cast it in the mid or late game, that number is so high that the game's over before they ever return. Uh Fooling around with time travel triggers lets you extend that out further. So I would imagine those are the kind of cards to keep your eye on here. Yeah, uh, you can you can only do yours. So he's blue-red, uh, out of time is white. So you're going to have to build some other deck to, to make that happen. But I imagine that the different decks, will you'll have some chances to do shenanigans. Yeah, it's unclear whether only the blue-red deck will have the time travel mechanic. If that's true, right. then yeah, the, the non-blue, non-red ver- cards related would not matter at all. Except that there, there you might get a multicolored commander at some point that interacts with all of the above. Right, there'll be something like that. Uh, this is notably going to be our next chance to hit up some plane chase planes. There's going to be plane chase included in some way. I don't think they were clear whether... They must come with the, the decks. They must come with the, the commander decks. I don't think they would try and do collector booster plane chase frames, no. but you never know. But they, they gave us four more of those, five more of those, and everything plane chase will be crazy again. Uh, if you haven't ever tried to uh, ship plane chase cards, they're kind of annoying. So if you've got them, make sure you've got your big envelopes ready to go. The only thing with plane chase is that it's not beginner friendly because you're adding a whole another no. set of permanents and rules to pay attention to um so you want to play it with people that know the formats well but we every once in a while pro trader discord we drag out the plane chase cards to play a couple games edh and then retire them again for a few months they showed us off the tardis itself artifact vehicle two four for two whenever it attacks if you control a time lord the next spell you cast this turn has cascade and you can planeswalk that's very powerful in the context of plane planeswalking and using the plane chase cards, giving something cascade, however, is pretty great. <laughs> so it's possible you don't need to be plane chasing for this card to be good. Yeah, no. Anytime you can add cascade to spells, that's just automatic value. You, it's it's hard to say no 
to just like, do you want to cast whatever cool thing you have next? Cool, let's do it. I'm for it. Probably one of the nastier cards revealed is Exterminate. There are these robot monster aliens called the Daleks, and they are pretty funny. They're very meme-worthy. I watched a Dalek episode to get caught up this week, and they are certainly amusing. Two and a black for a sorcery. Replicate. Tap an untapped Dalek you control. Destroy target creature. Its controller loses three life. So I immediately thought of Morophon decks or decks with Maskwood Nexus. Sure. Because then you can just tap all your creatures and destroy everything and all their controllers lose three. It seems pretty good. And this is going to make change. If you've got a changeling deck, I know people that, that like to play those. This is exactly the kind of thing that makes a changeling deck just uh, go crazy. And they love every bit about this. They also showed off the parting of the ways for double red for a saga. Exile the top five cards of your library. For each non-land card exiled this way, put a number of time counters on it on that card equal to its mana value. If it doesn't have suspend, it gains suspend. Then you time travel, then time travel on the next turn. So that means, say you, you did a bunch of three casting cost spells in the top five. Now they're going to go off a turn later. The very next turn after the second trigger on the saga because they started at three counters. You take one off. Then you take two more off. And I guess they all go off right away in that case if they were three casting costs. So this could do more work than people realize. And and I'm not even sure this needs to be in a dedicated doctor deck for this to be good. This could just be good. Uh, Because the third one is (laughs) the third one is for each opponent destroy up to one target artifact that player controls. That's just gravy. Yeah. But the ability to do, you know, you look at the top five and you're going to just like get some shenanigans going on. Uh, if you've not played against a Joyra of the Gitu deck, uh, that gets out of hand real quick if you don't step on it. And the worst part is you see it all coming. It's pretty annoying to see it all coming. The other thing is, to our earlier point, I think they revealed that all of the companions can be matched with all of the doctors. Yeah, there's some kind of mechanic they're going to do with that you tell me companions and i'm thinking you know luris and whatnot i don't think that's what we're going to be getting because this won't be oh, a modern no no no. They, they already showed it off they have their own mechanic that they they named but didn't show the full text for or something but they did i think say on the stream that uh or at the conference that the all the doctor's companion legendary creatures can partner with doctors so that you have two commanders which would mean that for instance, the 10th Doctor could be paired with the white companion or a white-blue companion, and then you could play out of time right? with the 10th Doctor because you're not going to be limited to blue and red. Yeah, that seems like the, the other way that you could add a bunch of other colors and figure out which of the time uh, mechanics you want to do. Vanishing is the one, and Suspend is the other major one. There's some neat stuff you can do. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of... Uh, new ways to play around with this they do. Now, they said that the commander decks are half new cards, right? I think there was like 50, 50, yeah, 50 cards or something. It's similar to the yeah. 40k decks in, in terms of the intensity of new cards. So there's a very high chance that we're going to get some very good cards, because if you look at what we got with 40k, putting aside all the flavor and whatever, there's a right. bunch of fantastic EDH cards in the 40k decks. So if it's anything like that, we're going to get plenty of fun to play with here. Yeah, we'll have more of a breakdown as we get more information about it. Do you remember what what uh, timeline they gave us for this? Uh, Doctor Who for Magic is going to be, I think it's September. No, it looks like October 13th. 
So I think of this year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. Oh it's, a, it's right around. The, it's right around the corner. This is that's a, that's a month after Wilds of Eldraine comes out, and 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 a month before Ixalan, which is a few weeks before the Lord of the Rings re-release for the holidays. Son of a biscuit eating bulldog what are they doing to me yeah yeah. this wasn't an announcement for next year they already announced this product last year this time (laughs) oh this whole time i was thinking this was for like february or march or it's october it's right around the corner same same release pattern as with the 40k decks was 40k a year ago already yeah it was it was released uh, late september early october I don't I don't know what's happening to my perception of time but uh we're we're done. We're just spiraling now. All right, great. So we got 2 months until that. That's wonderful. Moving on over to the Pro Tour Lord of the Rings, uh which is a modern tournament being held in Europe this weekend. I think it's in Barcelona if I'm not mistaken. That's ba- correct. Barcelona. I would imagine Black Red Scam as we said earlier is the deck most likely to top 8 and or win the tournament. It's just it's been the big dominant portion of the online meta share for a while however this is the first time the the best of the best has stepped back in to try to break this format and they have way more tools to work with that were printed in the last year than they would have had they approached this three years ago like the they have all the mh2 cards at their disposal there's like 30 top eightable cards out of that there's five or six very important cards at a Lord of the Rings. There's almost every standard set has contributed something to this format. Um, you know, from Boseju to Shield or the Apocalypse, etc. Standard the, the top tier standard staples have been very powerful cards and several have found their way into this format as well. So this is this is probably the widest potential field of decks that could top eight this tournament that we've seen for any pro tour in recent memory. You've got some very good teams working together very hard to try to pull it all together. I think it's pretty obvious. You're going to see a ton of bow masters. You're going to see some one ring. You're going to see some delighted halflings. You're going to see all the elementals in their various incarnations. You're going to see black green Yawgmoth. You're going to see living end. You're going to see blue red Murktide. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, you might see that blue black deck. That's been doing well. Don't leave out uh, Mono Green Tron is number six in Karsten's list of archetypes. Then yep. Indomitable Creativity. Burn should be around 5% of the field if the ratios hold. But you've got all kinds of stuff. Amulet Titans on the downswing. But maybe somebody's figured out some way to bust that wide open. Well, I mean, that's another one of the lists that was experimenting with four copies of the One Ring recently. So i i would imagine that upward additional upward pressure on sauron's ransom delighted halfling orcish bowmasters the one ring the elementals are the cards to watch most carefully the other three cards that did not show up in commander masters that all seemed like they had potential to be there that are probably also worth watching price tags on depending on whether they show up in in dominant lists at this tournament are esper sentinel dothy voidwalker right. and urza saga mm-hmm. because these are all major, major EDH cards that are also very important and modern. They didn't catch their reprint here. So even though everybody says everything gets reprinted all the time, none of the elementals from MH2 have been reprinted in two years. None of those three cards have been reprinted in two years. So <laughs> Sentinel and Saga were really surprising omissions from Commander Masters. I'll give you that. I think that we'll see... I, I imagine that at some point we're going to see a Douthy Voidwalker deck on camera and people will say, oh my God, that's amazing. 
What we won't necessarily see is the consistency that Urza Saga gives you, especially when you can give it a toolbox of things like a um, what's its facer might, the exiling might, or a shadow spear, or a uh, chalice of the void isn't legal, or whatever other sh- in a, like graveyard hate card you want to get. You know, it's really fun to put a couple of onesie twosies in there that you know your saga is going to go find, and unless you're Amulet Titan, in which it always goes and gets an amulet. Chalice of the Void is legal. Is it really? I thought it was. In modern. I, somehow I thought, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you go get one for zero because that doesn't ever work on anything in modern. But the, the, the bottom line is that Voidwalker is in the Black Red Scam deck as a four of. So right. you're going to see Voidwalker. Esper Sentinel is in Hammer Time, which seems to be getting kind of like elbowed out. But I would imagine you will see some Hammer Time pilots because if they play it all the time, that may still, a lot, sometimes at a tournament like this, like playing a deck that is 3% less to win, but that you are plus plus 15% to play can be the move. Right. You want to play a deck that you know really well, you know the corner cases. Because it gives you, because if you end up playing against somebody who just had their testing house, shove them onto blue-black mid-range with Sauron's Ransom, and they have don't have the reps in that you have with yours, they're more likely to make a high-pressure mistake than you are. I got to say, somebody gave me their Storm EDH deck once to play because we were doing the thing where you pick a deck and then you move a seat. And so I was playing this Storm deck and I'm just looking at these cards and I'm just like, I know these are good. I have died to these cards repeatedly to this stupid deck. And I feel like you put me at the controls of a vehicle that is powered by smell. I don't know what I'm doing here and I'm just going to sit here and look dumb. So I, I agree with you. People are going to pick the deck that they know and they can feel they do well with even against, you know, perhaps not the most optimized of um, matchup percentages. All right. So that's going to, you know, we'll be talking about the outcome from that tournament next week for sure. Uh, for sure. That'll be at top of the hour. The only other thing I wanted to cover this week is this Lorcana release that's coming up in august this is a ravensburger product that's a company that's mostly been known for puzzles and board games they managed to get a disney license there seems to be a lawsuit that that is landed at their feet from upper deck who was claiming that part of the the game was developed under their roof before the uh developers took off and re-situated at ravensburger so that's an ongoing thing there's also a bunch of market confusion on this game because vendors like Ben at Star City Games posted a tweet to this effect last week are out there telling telling people that they're getting some of the lowest allocations for a major release that they've ever seen which means they have a lot less product than they ordered in inbound from the distributors but at the same time I'm seeing notes posted in in Lorcana groups that this there are, this product is going to be in every major big box store it's going to be at GameStop it's going to be at Target at Walmart it's going to be online it's uh it's going to be all of these places it's going to be released at disney parks and so i'm not so sure that there's that low product volume so much as that the lgs network isn't getting as big a chunk of it as they would like right and so i've been telling you know we're doing a group buy for it we're in at a very attractive price we're going to make money regardless but it becomes a question of how greedy you want to be given that there's going to, it feels to me like there is going to be a wave of retail release that surely is going to get scalped, but it can't all get scalped. Like some kid is going to find some Lorcan at their local target before the scalpers get to it. <laughs> and 
and even the scalpers are going to be looking to quick, quick flip and undercut each other and drive the price down. And so it feels like midterm to long term, it's unclear to me what the you know the prognosis for this game as a speculation vehicle really is. We're not going to know till we see it in the rear view. It's very much like flesh and blood, where the first few sets ended up being ignored, but because they were ignored and the print runs were low, when the game got more popular popular later, they ended up being worth thousands of dollars for the booster boxes in just the first couple of years of their release. And then the first two sets after that process were everybody jumped on the bandwagon, still made people money, but then the next three sets after that didn't really. And I could see very similar things happening with Lurkana. So my advice to the pro traders that are in on early boxes is flip them out quick for a solid profit and and move on. Now, if you want to play the risky game and you think Lurkana is going to be a big deal for a long time, like it's the next Pokemon or whatever, then maybe you go ahead and sit on your first edition booster boxes, stuff them away in the closet for five years, 10 years, and cross your fingers. But... I mean, that's a that's a bold move considering that there are people who will collect any damn thing with Disney property on it. Like there are and that that's probably going to contribute to the first wave being, you know, not as prevalent as they might have wanted cuz there are people who will just buy anything Disney and be like, "I've got this Disney collectible. It is mine now. I must have everything from Disney." And I agree. Like, you're going to have a whole lot of Disney-specific stuff happening. Can you imagine what the magic market would do? Well, we have something similar. Like, if you go to Disneyland for a certain week, you get a certain card. Oh, but that's... Oh, that's inevitable. That's that's what I'm yeah. saying is being set up here. The Because the orig- you could get the original Disney... I think it was SDCC last year was the first... There was, like, a Mickey card. That was right. released that goes for thousands of dollars now if it's perfect 10 graded. The um and there is a huge difference between, say, Doctor Who IP and Disney. Because it's not just about Mickey Mouse. Like a lot of kid kids don't necessarily know who Mickey Mouse is now. Whereas when we were kids, that was automatic. But sure. they they sure as hell know who the princesses from Frozen are. <laughs> and I'm not going to put the 10th Doctor up against Elsa any day of the week. I also would not put the 10th Doctor up against pretty much anything Disney could throw at it. Um, we're we're at a spot where I w- I've been looking at the cards as they show up in Twitter feeds and such, and it is a surprisingly complicated game to to learn out of the launch, it seems like. It looks a lot like Magic. It really it's not, does. It's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a clone. It's not a clone. It's got its own thing going on. But the it's definitely borrowing mechanics liberally from the games that have come before it. I really thought Magic had trademarked and copyrighted and patented turning a card sideways. Mm, I think it's not. I think it's more the tap symbol and the describing it as tapping a card. But if you exert the card, for instance, you're probably fine. Yeah, you turn it sideways. They're avoiding anything that it refers to tap. That's funny. All right. So anyway, Lorcana is going to be a really big deal towards the end of the summer. I'm not convinced that the overall level of market inventory is as low as some people are representing. We will be able to comment on that further once we're, say, six weeks out from that release. Okay. And in the meantime, where can folks find you online, my friend? 
You can find me online at Twitter. I'm going to call it that forever because uh, I'm the kind of person who still calls it EDH from uh, quite often as well. You can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander as well as my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at MTG critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just 9.99 a month or 109.99 per year you can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business low-cost group buys and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering once again mtg finds fan Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. So much going on, James, and we get a whole pro tour to sit through this weekend. I love it. Can't wait to see what they come up with over in Barcelona. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Fast Finance.